I'm Jacob Earl, and this is Constantly Moving Forward. I'm going on a trip pretty soon, which means that I've been thinking a lot about stuff, and how much my stuff weighs, and how much stuff I have. There's nothing like a trip to, you know, sort of open your eyes to exactly how much weight you carry around with you all day. It's easy not to notice how much your stuff weighs because you keep it on shelves and the shelves carry the weight for you. But the weight of all these books is still on my shoulders. It's just on my shoulders in the future when I have to move again. I've been moving like every six months, it feels like, since 2008. But I still have something like 300 vinyl records. Some things are harder to get rid of than others. Books are pretty easy to get rid of because I can largely read them on my phone. Reading books on my phone has been the biggest and most wonderful invention of the 21st century for me. But for a lot of other stuff, it's harder. There's no way I can put my computer in the cloud, for example, or all my little notebooks, but I wouldn't give up my little notebooks because I need to be able to think, and writing things down is how I think about things. Anyway, getting back to this trip, I'm going to be gone for a couple of days, I'm making a video about packing, and I only want to carry one bag. Well, really I'm going to carry one bag in my purse, because my purse has my phone charger and my wallet in it and stuff but still one bag for years I've been slowly whittling down my wardrobe until I dress like a I don't know like a monk or something if I could wear a robe all the time I would still got a cold so there might be a little bit of rattle in here when I was in Italy I went to the cell of a Franciscan monastery monasteries are really cool because they, they they're up on the hill they got all this beautiful light and they're these little tiny extremely sparse rooms and i got to thinking how much stuff would a monk have right monks don't have anything they don't even have a bible really they may not even know how to read but they sit in their room and look at the sun or the sunlight grow flowers, and think about Jesus, or whatever. Well, I don't want to think about Jesus. That just seems maddening to me. To spend years with just your thoughts would drive me crazy, right? And I don't want to be one of those young people who's like, well, nowadays, or whatever. But ever since the invention of the printing press... <laughs> People haven't had to just sit in their rooms and look at the clouds and think their own thoughts. <laughs> but it's kind of true. As time has gone on, as we've moved past these early monasteries, things have come into our lives. I look around and 
you know, I'm surrounded by books and records and a typewriter of all things. And I think, why do I have all this stuff? Is it because I need it? Is it because it's some irrevocable part of me? Why do I have three jackets, right? Why do I have a flannel shirt that I never wear? Where did all of this stuff come from? And why do I still have it? Why is it so hard to get rid of stuff? Why does stuff have that pull over me? Why do I let a thing boss me around? I don't have answers for any of this stuff. Uh, this is just what I've been thinking about. I still have a cold. My lungs are still full of snot. There might be a little bit of rattle on the tape. Uh, this is just what we have to work with. But I've been trying to get rid of more stuff. I gave away like 30 books yesterday. I've been trying to pare everything down. Ideally, I would only have the things that I'm bringing with me on my trip to LA. A small bag, a purse, my media stuff. I think that's all I need. But there's this heavy hesitation inside of my heart every time I try and throw away um, Ernest Hemingway's In Our Time. I think, I'm going to read that again, I think. Or my day planner from 2015. I'm never going to reference that, probably. I don't need to know which days I showered in 2015. Maybe I will. No one wants to read about that. That's not like my journals from 2015 where I, you know, I had thoughts about art or whatever. That's kind of interesting. But like where I was and what I did from day to day, that's not very interesting. I don't need three different kinds of Boy Scout manual, you know. But every time I try and get rid of them, it's like a little voice calls out to me saying, but you might need it. And the pull of that little voice isn't as strong as the pure beauty of a Franciscan cell, right? Like, the idea of having nothing, the pull of nothing, is not as strong as the pull of something. But what is pretty strong is my own internal reticence to be told what to do by anyone. And so... If I hold a book that I'm trying to give away or a hat that doesn't fit me and it says, but what if you need me? I say, but you are not the boss of me. And that usually works. You feel mean though, you know? Ugh. I really have to start making hot cups of coffee and not lukewarm ones because that sucks. Anyway, I've been fighting against things for a long time now, but things on the whole have won. While I like the idea of being able to just up and leave, right? I don't have anywhere to go, but there is that like, uh, that doomsday prepper thing where it's like, what if the government turns against you or whatever? That's why it's actually been very motivational in trying to run more, uh, because I want to be able to, because I live in a neighborhood full of cops, and while none of them can run very fast, I don't think, I need to be able to move quickly if I need to. I know I sound like a crazy person, but it's just like a little narrative I've constructed to help me work out a little bit more. Anyway, working against stuff. 
the best tool that I've discovered besides my own unwillingness to follow rules that I myself did not write has been the idea of collecting space. Every surface in my life, if I don't watch it, becomes covered in stuff. I'm looking at my desk right now and it is covered in little things, all these little things that all kind of belong somewhere else, but I'm putting them there for the moment. But if I reframe that and allow myself to still collect things, but the thing that I value the most is the idea of empty space, and I say, this space where something is, is not a place that's available to put my vintage camera I'm trying to run the roll of film out on, but is instead its own object. This empty space is a worthwhile collected object of its own, right? That reframes it entirely. Instead of seeing these shelves and the tops of things as places to put something, I see them as places to put the thing of empty space. It helps keep things a little bit cleaner. Not endlessly clean, but it's, it's, it's just really hard to look at a place on a shelf and not put something there. I know that's my own problem or whatever, but it's the problem that I'm working on. But if I reframe it and I say, it's not that I have not put something there, I have. I have put this clear, invisible cube, roughly, let's say, five centimeters cubed, and I've put that on my shelf here. It's not empty, there's something there. And that thing is empty space. It helps me not put stuff places. Because otherwise, everything gets covered in receipts I don't want, and batteries, and um, little boxes of floss, and business cards, and uh, coffee cups. I drink a lot of coffee. I read the uh, original story of Blade Runner, right, the other day, uh, do androids dream of electric sheep, and it's very different from the film. It's no more acceptably liberal. There's still some really, like, terrible violence against women in it, which, aside, can we stop doing that? Can we stop putting just scenes of violence against women in movies? Why, what, what is the point of that? In the latest Blade Runner movie, he like, it's not really a spoiler because it's in the commercial, but like he creates a woman from nothing. He says, I'm your God from, you know, your birth. We're always afraid of, you know, self-preservation, whatever. And then he kills her and it doesn't add anything to the plot. It's just bugs me. I don't know. The movie has a ton of other problems that I'm not going to talk about right now. Anyway, collecting empty space. Where was I? Collecting empty space. Clutter. Kipple. That's what I was talking about. So in the book, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, there's this concept of entropy, right? This 
pervading sense of entropy where everything that you do eventually fades and turns to dust or in their case radioactive dust because you know there's a big space craze thing going on and in this book this guy's house his whole neighborhood basically has been turned to kipple and kipple is these little things like like uh, the things that cover my desk uh, little pieces of paper you mean to keep meaning to throw away or receipts or um, used gum wrappers and you know just like little things that you find in your pocket and then you take it out of your pocket and you put it on the table and you think I'm gonna get to that later and then you never do and the the thesis of the book is that you know you'll get to it you you can get to it but just like the heat death of the universe the kipple will eventually win but I refuse to accept that I refuse to accept that I will succeed I will prevail I will conquer things and while I may not live as a monk I will have a clean desk I just wish I had so few things that I could carry them on my back at any given time because even if you can't carry all your things in your back at any given time, you will eventually have to. Because no one lives in one spot for forever. And if you're constantly packing and unpacking things, you're the one who has to move it. And I wish I could keep that, that concept in my mind when I used to go to the thrift store all the time. My mom still goes to the thrift store, and I love the thrift store. But it is essentially just a store full of trash. You can get good clothes and stuff, but after a certain point, you don't need more clothes. And all the stuff that's there, it's like, there, there's good stuff at the thrift store if you go a lot and you keep your eyes open and you know what you're looking for. But it is largely trash. And I've been trying to reframe my mind in this empty space is a worthwhile pursuit this collecting this space right sort of idea and that's basically the antithesis of the thrift store the thrift store is great love the thrift store very useful place i've gotten tons of cool jackets there i've gotten shirts i've liked all kinds of stuff but half of every thrift store at least here in america is just shelves and shelves of these little figurines either made of ceramic or wood or whatever and like or plastic i guess and like uh, board games that are incomplete or board games that are complete that no one likes or like old cameras from the 90s that don't work or glasses like glassware I think is a kind of kipple but like half of all thrift stores is like this this kipple stuff where it's like stuff that collects that you don't really want to throw away that eventually drowns you and while it's very interesting to go and look at it's very interesting to sort through and maybe you find a cool mug from the United States Forest Service as I have um or like Boy Scout memorabilia which is another thing I think is really neat 
On the whole, it's trash. Paula Poundstone had a funny bit that I can't find where she was taking her kids to New York on vacation. And they were going to go to FAO Schwartz because something you do in New York, I guess. I've never been. But FAO Schwartz, big toy store, the toy store from Big, right? And they have all these toys. It's amazing. But she didn't want to buy her kids anything. So she said to them before they got there, hey guys, what we're doing today is we're going to FAO Schwartz, a world famous toy museum. You can play with the toys, but don't break anything. And we can't buy anything because it's a museum. And I thought this was hilarious. Paula Poundstone, hilarious comedian. What is also a good way to think about the thrift store, right? It is a museum of things. They have rotating collections, but that doesn't mean you have to bring it home to your private collection. You can go to the store or the thrift store or the Ikea. Ikea is like this too. And you can look at the things and enjoy them, but then go home and enjoy your house separate. Kind of like having a friend who has a kid, right? Like you can go and visit your friend who has a kid, but it doesn't mean it's your kid. It's fun to visit, but also you get to go home to your nice quiet house. <laughs> I have thought about this a lot and too late, really, because at this point I live in a museum of things, little tiny things that are slowly crushing me from all directions. And I'm moving soon, and I'm trying to get rid of more stuff. But it's almost like, like I took like 30 books out of this bookshelf, and it still looks the same. The more stuff you take out, the, like at a certain point, you can take out almost everything, and it'll still, you'll still be surrounded by stuff. It's like a treadmill, but through constant vigilance and work you can make your house slightly emptier I guess but it's harder than it should be and I wonder why you know I wonder why like I said at the beginning like why do I have this stuff is it do I need these books because I think I might reference them because they were expensive do I need this vintage camera because I'm the sort of person who has a vintage camera. Why do I need a trophy to reinforce the person I think that I am? If I were in fact that kind of person, wouldn't I exist on my own without needing that sort of reinforcement? It's just like shoring up insecurity, basically. You can say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a cool guy. I have, you know, all of the Long Winters records, and several movie soundtracks, and a typewriter. I'm Jake Cool, they call me. That's not necessarily true, though. You're not cool just because you have something. You're cool because you do something. Cool is an action, right? To be admired, one does not accumulate trophies of the sort of people that one admires. Instead, one 
imitates the admirable, right? One uh, does admirable things and in that way becomes admired instead of, you know, it's, it's not exactly one-to-one, -one, but instead of having uh, lapel pins from all over the world collect memories of those travels of helping people along the way and you know it's very easy for me to say I suppose that's the thing about all of these way way easier to say than they are to do every single piece of advice that anyone ever gives you infinitely easier to say than it is to achieve that's why I'm saying I'm you know I'm in process right constantly moving forward, never quite arriving. Uh, anyway, here's a word from our sponsors. This week's show has been brought to you by The Electric Keyboard. If you're looking to add music to your project, consider learning the keyboard. It's like the piano, but it's electric. All the notes are laid out in simple and repeating patterns, arranged from low to high, making it an ideal instrument for the beginner while adding a subtle layer of complexity to keep even the most skilled player entertained. The keyboard. It's like the piano, but electric. And by listeners like you. Listeners like you are out there in the world, following me around on Twitter, finding the different things that I make and listening to them. Listeners like you are helping me out by going to payjacobearl.com and dropping me a dollar or something because I make a lot of stuff. Listeners like you are supportive and kind and helpful and tell me when I mess something up but in like a nice way. Listeners like you are some of my favorite people on the planet. And if you think that this is you, it probably is. And I appreciate your listenership and your viewership and, you know, supporting me in my work as you have by following me on Twitter at S-T-C-R-O-I-S-S, -S, like the first part of Save the Croissants, and by visiting PayJacobEarl.com. Thanks to listeners like you. You and I are walking along a mountain path. There's a rustling in the underbrush. I'm a little apprehensive, but you bend down to take a look. Crouched there beneath a bush is a young fox. Come here and look at this, you say. And I bend down to take a look. Oh my God, it's a small fox. They have a name, you say. Yeah, but what is it? Is it Foxlet? Is it Foxini? I think it's like bears, you say. Yeah, but what do you even call a small bear, though, I say. I'm fooling at this point. I've remembered that young foxes are called cubs. The fox cub crouching underneath the bush. It's bright orange hair, semi-translucent in the evening light, looks out at us, not afraid, for this is a well-trodden path. This is 
practically a cosmopolitan fox for the amount of tourists and college students it sees on a daily basis. Hello, you say, trying to entice it a little bit closer. But despite its age, this fox cub is aware of the vagaries and tricks of man and refuses to move closer. It turns and goes deeper into the brush. You pursue. Hey, you shouldn't go off the path, I say. But you can't hear me. You're excited to, you know, see if maybe there's more foxes around. And honestly, who can blame you? It's a cold winter day. The snow lies heavy on the forest. The fox's orange fur stands out in sharp contrast to his surroundings. He leads you on a circuitous path further and further into the woods. At several points, he's almost close enough to catch, but slips away at the last moment. You're not cold, especially not in the heat of pursuit, but the sun is setting. It's getting darker. You're not in any danger of losing this fox, but it occurs to you that maybe you should turn back at some point. After all, it's an animal that lives in the woods. But you continue. After a certain point, with the sun hanging just above the horizon, only minutes of daylight left, you come across a clearing, and in the center of the clearing is a young man. He has piercing eyes. Hello, you say to him. He doesn't say anything back at you, only looks at the sun. You notice now that he's wearing an orange sweater and has red hair and a rather on-the-nose bit of costuming. Hey, did you see a fox? I was chasing a fox, you say. Young man says nothing, <laughs> only looks at the setting sun, and then back at you. He's a little worried at this point. You shouldn't be here, he says. Yeah, I know the sun's setting. It's it's it's, it's going to be pretty cold, but I can find my way back. I just came from... You turn around. It is very unclear which direction you came from. You can see the sun, but... Since the setting sun is your only indicator of direction, all you have now is the warm orange glow of the sunset to indicate which way is west. And on the way here, the sun on your left or on your right? You shouldn't be here, he says again. The forest now, at this time, in this place, is no, is no place for man. Nor beast, honestly. You look at him. Well, you know, you were here. We can find the path together. He looks at you again. The sun's gone and the orange rays of dusk are filtering out into the clouds. I can't go back to where you came from, he says. He speaks in a very imperative manner as if every word is dire and needs to be expressed quickly. Uh, okay, well, can you at least tell me which way is the right way? He shakes his head. It's a little late, he 
he says. You're in this clearing. It's gotten dark. I'd be very surprised if you could ever get home again, he said. You're a little worried about this weird cryptic message from a stranger in a clearing, but you know, you're pretty confident. Your phone doesn't work, you realize, and you can't call for help, but you weren't really walking that far, and you know, you're right next to a very popular path, like there's bound to be people around. Well, thanks for all of your help, you say, and walk back the way that you came, uh, hopefully. But as you walk, after a couple of minutes, nothing quite seems familiar. And after a couple of minutes more, and it's quite dark and cold at this point, you come across the same clearing, this time empty. All right, you say to yourself. You're well and truly lost at this point. You set off in a different direction, but you only end up back at the same clearing. It's a very circular clearing. You can see the sky above you and cottonwood trees surrounding it. Almost all cottonwoods. They look good with the snow. The snow, of course, you look down. You can follow your own tracks back. Easy. But as you look around, you can't find your tracks anymore. You're the only person who's been walking around, but there aren't no tracks. You walk off into the center of the clearing. Make sort of a, a square star shape and set off in another direction. After a couple of minutes, you end up at a, what must be a new clearing because it's completely full with fresh snow, no tracks anywhere. And again, no tracks leading to it either. Like it's almost as if you haven't moved at all. There's something about this clearing that draws you to it. So you decide to go and stand in the center. You look up at the gradually darkening night sky, and there's one star that's right above you. It's really nice. You look up at this one star, twinkling in the night, and you're not cold anymore. You're getting pretty cold. But you're not cold anymore. And you smile. Because it's nice. And you look down. And your feet are wrong. And your arms are wrong. And you're not cold. But you're also not wearing your jacket or your hat or your boots. In fact, you're pretty sure your boots, if you could see them, because they seem to have disappeared, 
Your boots wouldn't have fit anymore. This is all quite a shock. So you open your mouth to shout, and only a strange, strained sound comes out. And you put your hands to your mouth, and you no longer have a mouth. It's a beak. In your panic, you flail your arms, and you take to the sky. And you fly away from that clearing, out into the cold winter night. The young man was right. It was not a night fit for man nor beast. But you, and you realize now that he, are both and neither. And this is your night. And that's our show. Constantly Moving Forward is a production of SaveTheCroissants.com and me, Jacob Earl. If you'd like to find out more about our show, visit us online at ConstantlyMovingForward.net and subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Overcast, which is the one that I like. All right. Till next week. I'm Jacob Earl. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.